Uh, a couple of weeks ago, um, our, uh, so we have our focus missionaries, uh, their bosses were here. Uh, our, our, our regional and area directors, Dominic and Dorian, uh, they had come in and uh, I was meeting with them at one point and we were talking about a few different things and they were asking me, man, how, how has it been uh, because I've only been here for nine months and they were just checking in and just kind of catching up. And I, at one point, we started talking about my, my first few years as a priest and my last few years as a priest. And I said, I'm not going to lie, man, I, I love it. Like, I love college campus. It's been awesome. Um, I said, to, to, to say that my life to this point as a priest has, has been irregular would be an understatement. They're like, really? I said, yeah, my first year, uh, I was assigned at a parish, which I love dearly. Um, and after one year, which isn't common, I, I moved. So I remember leaving a parish that I really loved, and I went work at the diocese. And when I went work at the diocese while I was there, um, I, I was basically in charge of making some really, really tough decisions and doing a lot of stuff. And, and just as a young priest making tough decisions, it wasn't very fun. And then the set, my third year, I remember I was placed at a, my first time as a pastor, which was really exciting. Um, but it was in my hometown, and most of the people in the church uh, knew me or really knew me, right? Uh, they, knew, uh, they knew me as the, the, the punk little kid that I was and am, right? Uh, so it was really hard to kind of pull the wool over their eyes, and it was, it was, but it was fun. Um, but nine months into being a pastor, uh, I, we, we, we went and they, they don't train you how to do a global pandemic in the seminary, right? And the guys kind of looked at me, and I was like, the last thing I expected was that my first year as a priest, uh, my first time celebrating Easter and Triduum as a priest would have been in a closet by myself with a camera, right? The year and a half that, that ensued was either nobody in church or people in mask in churches. And then right about the time we, we stopped caring about the mask, all of a sudden Hurricane Ida hit. And that was a whole other hornet's nest we kicked over. And then six months later I left. And I remember as I was, sit, I was, as I was sharing that, it just stuck with me, and it even still sticks with me. The last couple of years have sucked. <laughs> like, in our culture, the last couple of years have been really, really rough. Like, if, we, if we're really honest with ourselves, right? Like, it, it, it has not been the easiest couple of years. It's been a lot of hard in the last couple of years. Things that, that none of us ever would have expected happening, Things that our parents' generation would have never expected happening. Their parents' generation would have never expected and seen. It's just been a really, really rough few years. Well, as we, as we enter into this first Sunday of Lent, I think it's worth just naming that to kind of start. And the, and the main reason why I say it's, it's worth naming What's been rough about the last couple of years? What what might have what might have been a a, a source of anxiety or, or or struggle the last few years is because it, it's a major theme in Lent of being able to recognize the hard, the 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 rough, the undesirable kind of stuff. M mainly because. Um, when, when we approach Lent, right, when we, when we come into Lent, we, we enter into 40 days, just like Jesus in our Gospel today enters into 40 days. 
We enter into a, a season which is about stripping stuff away and letting God meet us where we need Him. Not, not where we want Him, but where we need Him. So while COVID was, it sucked and it, it might have, it might have, you, may, you may not have liked it for because you had to wear a mask, or you may not have liked it because people forced you to wear a mask, or you might have not have liked it because those idiots over there wore a mask, and I don't wear a mask, or you got the shot, or you didn't get the shot, or whatever. Like more, it, there was a lot of reasons why it might have been hard, it might have been rough, it might have kind of exposed weakness, it might have been a struggle, but I, I have a feeling that every one of us knows somebody that had a funeral that, that we would, didn't expect. What, 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 if it was Hurricane Ida, and maybe maybe Hurricane Ida was a problem or is a problem, you might still not be in your house, or your house might have been gone, so you're in a new house. Like I, I know for my family, like we were lucky, but I know a lot of families that were not so lucky. You know, five churches in our diocese still aren't in their house. Like it, while, while that all might have been rough, those, those things that were rough the last few years, like it didn't stop the, the, other, the other hard stuff. Right? It, did, it didn't stop sickness. It didn't stop struggle. It didn't stop a breakup. It didn't stop other things from happening. There's, there's been a lot of content that's kind of exposed weakness in the last couple of years. I bring that up because, quite, quite honestly, um, that, that's what the devil likes to use. Like, let, look, look at today's gospel, for example. In today's gospel, at the very, very beginning, we hear some of the, one of the most, one of the most um, obvious lines that any, any of our gospel says. Very, very plain. Second sentence of our gospel today, talking about Jesus, says, He fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. Now, the word fasted here does not mean our technical definition of fasting that we did on Ash Wednesday, right? One meal and two meals that don't equal a full meal. That, that's not what we're talking about. When, when we hear that Jesus fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, the biblical idea of fasting was ate and drank nothing. Okay? So he's in a desert. He ate nothing. He drank nothing. And if you're sitting there like, how did he survive? He's God. He gets a pass. We're going to move on. Okay? Don't, don't think too deep into it. But that's the concept, right? He fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, right? So when we read it, you hear, he fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. He ate nothing for 40 days and 40 nights. And afterwards, he was hungry. Exactly. Yeah. I'm like, I don't eat for 40 minutes and I'm hungry, right? 40 days and 40 nights and he was hungry. Of course. The interesting thing is, is that Jesus, like we're reading right today from Matthew 4, right? The very beginning of the fourth chapter of Matthew. The third chapter of Matthew ends with Jesus being baptized. So Jesus, right at the beginning of his public ministry, this is the first thing he does, right? This is the very, very first thing he does is that he is baptized. He's, you, they have this moment where the dove comes down, the voice of the father looks at him, says, this is my beloved son with whom I'm well pleased, right? And then the next thing we hear about is that Jesus goes into the desert and the first thing that happens is he doesn't eat, he doesn't drink for 40 days, and he's hungry. It's less. 
42 days of Jesus' life that we just heard about, right? He goes into the desert, and the first thing we hear after that he's hungry is that now the enemy tries to tempt him. It's not the first time that the enemy tempts in a, in a moment of vulnerability, in a moment of weakness. Because we heard about the first time he did it in, the, in, the, in, our, in our first reading. You see, the enemy, what he does is, is that he, he's, he's in the garden, right? We hear about Adam and Eve in the garden, and in the middle of the garden there's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and there's the tree of everlasting life. And there are these two trees that they're not supposed to eat from, but Adam and Eve are in the garden, and the enemy comes and approaches Eve, and tempts Eve, and Eve falls. Now guys, real quick, put a sidebar into this, and if you've been in a Bible study recently, you may have heard this. The, the, the fact that the devil can approach Eve and Adam doesn't step in shows that Adam has abandoned his post. That it is not the fault of Eve, first and foremost. It's Adam who abrogated his post, who didn't do what he was supposed to. Because what man is going to let the devil come talk to his wife and not put up a fight? Sidebar over. But, right? So, what happens is, is that Eve, the devil, comes to her and, and starts to tempt her. And what he does is he gets her to look at the fruit. And Eve sees that the fruit is good for three things. That, it, that it's good for food, right? That it's, that it's pleasing to the eyes. And that it's good for gaining wisdom. The lust of the eyes. The lust of the flesh. And for gaining wisdom. For pride of life. And the enemy starts to, to, that's where he tempts Eve. That's where he gets Eve to, to lock in and to fall. And we know the story. They both eat, they hide, they cover themselves. So Jesus, it, it, it makes sense that from the very, very beginning of the Bible, from the very, very beginning of humanity, the very, very beginning of, of all of salvation history, that Adam and Eve fell to this devil, this same devil who was trying to corrupt humanity. It makes sense that from the very beginning of Jesus' public ministry, what would happen? That this same devil would try and say, I can do it again. That this same devil would look at Jesus and say, for the same way, I can make him fall again. Whether it be with all the kingdoms of the world, whether it be with throwing himself off of, uh, off of the temple, but I can make him fall again. Man is corruptible. And I can get him. But notice what his first temptation is. You see those rocks? Turn them into bread. Now put yourself in Jesus' place. Forty days, forty nights, haven't eaten, haven't drinking, ha drinking, haven't eaten, haven't drank anything. You are starving. You are thirsty. And the devil's talking to you saying, you have the power. Turn those rocks into bread. I'm eating a sandwich five minutes later. But Jesus says no. 
I've said this in confession to a few people before, and, and if you've heard me say it, um, first of all, thank you for coming to confession. Second of all, uh, bear with me. But, but something that I'm, I'm more and more convinced of on a daily basis is that the devil, number one, is so boring. <laughs> and number two, he's really good at what he does. He's boring in that he has one tactic. He has one way of approaching us. He has one way of attacking because he can't make anything. He can't force us to do anything. All he can do is tempt. But he's, but damn it, he is good at it. So what does he do with Jesus? He doesn't, just, he doesn't tempt him with something else. He tempts him with what he wants. He fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, and he was hungry. So where does the enemy attack? His gut. Where does the enemy attack? He, he, he's hungry. Let me tempt him with food. You see, that's the thing about the enemy. That's the thing about the devil. First of all, he's real. And second of all, he, he, he attacks where we're weakest. He attacks where we're most vulnerable. You see, St. Ignatius of Loyola was a... Uh, one of our great saints, um, military man, uh, was injured in battle, had his conversion basically while he was healing one day, and um, while he was healing, and one of the things he did, one of the one of the things that he has given to the church in her tradition is the, the these like he's able to kind of break down this battle of good and evil, right? That there's good spirits, there's bad spirits. There's God in his army, there's the devil in his army, and they are clashing and fighting, and the battleground is the human heart. That they're trying to claim hearts, they're trying to claim souls for either kingdom. And one of the things that, that Ignatius did was he kind of distilled down a few tactics of the enemy, and one of them, this is what he says. He says the enemy, or the, the devil, he, he behaves as a chief bent on conquering and robbing what he desires. For as a captain and a chief of an army, pitching his camp and looking at the forces or defenses of a stronghold, attacks it on the weakest side. In like manner, the enemy of human nature, roaming about, looks in turn at all our virtues, theological, cardinal, and moral, and where he finds us weakest and most in need of our eternal salvation, there he attacks us and aims at taking us. To, to sum it up in, in plain language, right? the enemy is a smart general. He, he does not come with his army knocking on a castle door basically saying, hey y'all, I'm here to take you over. Come on out. Instead, what he does is he scouts the castle wall. He scouts around. He looks for the weakest point, And what he does is he unleashes hell there, literally. He looks for the place that we're most vulnerable, that we're most in need, that we're most weak. That's where he attacks. And exploits it like an exposed nerve. My question, I think for all of us as we begin this Lent, what's your greatest weakness?
What, what's your biggest vulnerability? Because I, I, I know God knows it. And I know the enemy knows it. Like every good coach, what they do is, is they, they watch film. Why? Because they're looking for a weakness to exploit. Every good soldier, right, like every good general looks at the battlefield and looks for the weakness to exploit. If, I, if, a, if a military person or a person coaching can do that, then the devil can do that a lot better than us. Like infinitely greater. So, so what's your biggest weakness? Is it a particular sin? Maybe I, I just can't kick the porn habit. And, 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 and he keeps pushing in right there. I, I just can't, I can't, we can't reestablish those boundaries in our relationship. Like it's, we're, we're too far gone with that. We've been sexually active for a while. Because the devil's just going to push in. Like on a bruise. Maybe it's doubt. Well, I haven't felt God in my life in a really long time. Why would He be active now? Like we had this relationship about six months ago, a year ago, five years ago, before COVID, before Ida, when I was in high school, when I was going through confirmation, whatever. Like I had this relationship with God the last time I was on awakening, but what about right now? He hasn't been around, so why would I really care? If I go to pray, He ain't going to show up. The enemy will push in. Like on a bruise. Maybe it's fear. If I change, what are other people going to say? If I have to, if I have to act differently, if I have to do something differently, if I have to reestablish something, I have to move on from something. If something has to change, then what? The fear of the future, otherwise known as anxiety, kicks in. and That can be crippling. What does the devil do? Just pushes in. The, the thing is, is that we, we don't just wallow in our weakness for the sake of wallowing in our weakness. Because you see, the, the, the reality is, is as we come to Lent, as we come to this season, as we pray with this Scripture, the fact is, is that Jesus Christ entered into the desert, entered into the temptation, and entered into the hell that we have to deal with from time to time as well. Because a few months ago, we celebrated this feast called Christmas. And leading up to Christmas, all through Advent, there was a promissory note that God kept giving us, where He said, Emmanuel, 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 O come, O come, Emmanuel. You got tired of hearing that song for three, for four weeks, because, O come, O come, Emmanuel. What does Emmanuel stand for? God with us. If Jesus is truly Emmanuel, God has been with us. God enters into the mess with us. God enters into our weakness with us. He enters into the struggle with us, and we are with Him in the desert. That we're not left alone. 
That Jesus Christ has entered into it and become a man so that the second person of the Trinity steps down to be a man, to be a person, so that He has walked through it for us first. To show us that it's possible. And to give us the grace and the strength to be able to push through despite our weakness. Despite our vulnerability. One of the greatest things about our faith, one of the greatest characteristics about our faith is that because we have a God who has become one of us, His grace is, His grace is able to kind of spring up within us. Right? Like One of the greatest things is that we have a God who has seen it so fit, He's not distant, that He's with us in the battle, in the struggle, in the vulnerability. That we don't go through Lent to just do hard stuff to try and show off. That it's not just us flexing that, oh, I can do, give up this for 40 days and then afterwards binge on it. But that if we do it right, that the Lord is with us in the struggle, in the battle, in the fight. That's, that's what happens every time we come to Mass. <laughs> is that God again proves that He's with us. Why? Because He steps down to meet us. He steps down to enter into the struggle with us. Into our vulnerabilities with us. I'll end with this. If we keep the image of the wall, right? If we keep the image of the castle wall, there's a certain scripture that has just driven me crazy for years that I can't stand. And I'm just too lazy to look it up because it just... Keeps popping up in my mind while I'm preaching. Um, but there, there's a particular scripture St. Paul shares, and he says, when, when I'm weak, then I'm strong. And every time I hear it, I think that St. Paul's drunk, right? When I'm weak, then I'm strong. When you're weak, you're weak. When you're strong, you're strong. I always would get aggravated when I'd hear that. When I'm weak, then I'm strong. And I'm like, Paul, I don't know what you're talking about here, man. But I think what it is, is that whenever we, if we know where our weakness is, if we know where our struggle is, if we know where the weak point in the wall of our castle is, of our heart is, right? Like to play the image way too more, like way too much. Um, if we know where the weakness is, when we allow God into the weakness, He fortifies it. He strengthens the broken part. He strengthens the whole. He patches it up. And He is the one that's playing defense for us. So now all of a sudden, where was weak is now a strength. Because it doesn't depend on me. As, as we go into Mass tonight, as we continue into Mass tonight, as we continue into, to, to prepare and receive the Eucharist, may, may that be our prayer. First of all, that we, that we can name the weakness. We can name the place that we're most vulnerable. And then secondly, that we can have the grace to allow God into it. So in your life, where is it? Because every one of us has it. None of us are perfect. All of us are, all of us are some kind of messed up. Some more than others. Hi, nice to meet you, right? But every one of us needs the Lord because there's a place where we're vulnerable. So tonight, as, as, we, in, as we continue in Mass, where are you feeling most weak or most vulnerable? And I invite you just to let the Lord in. 
especially as we come to receive the communion and you, and you receive him into your person, right? Just to ask the Lord to come in to fortify 